Hello and welcome to the internet's one and only podcast where people cry in a book club. I am Panda, I am your host, and I am here with my friends and yours, John Luke Bottle. What's up, Crackers? And Alex. What did you say to me? <laughs> What's up, Cracker? Okay, cool. Hi, guys. We used to have another podcast where we talked about comic books, and now we have this podcast where we talk about comic books. Yeah, we've come a long way. We've really we've, branched out. <laughs> trying, we've really evolved. Horizons. We've really uh, taken in the current trends and are uh, going with what is going to benefit us most as internet content creators. I've yeah. learned which slurs I'm allowed to say for this one. Yeah, that's something you didn't have uh, down on the comics podcast, which is why we got canceled after 284 episodes. So yeah, I know that I can say cr- I can call people crackers, and it's uh... my, my, so side story, uh, kind of emotional. My dad went to Costco today. Before he went oh. to Costco, he said, "Did he get called a cracker at Costco?" Even worse. Well, even better. Uh, he says, uh, "Hey, Alex, do you want anything from Costco?" And I said, uh, "I'd like some guacamole and some crackers." And he said, "Okay." And now I think there's quack crackers in the house. So oh, yeah, that's yeah, it's that's a beautiful my story. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful story of of obtaining, you know, crackers and guacamole. It's true. Speaking of uh, beautiful stories containing crackers, we're talking about Lord. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, there's some mixed race people. Oh no, absolutely! Show. I just meant because Laura, as far as we know, Laura Dean herself, the titular Laura Dean, is white, so. I mean, our main character is not white, but uh, the the titular Laura Dean is. That was really good. I I really liked that. I'm so glad. I, I I had notes for this episode, and I know, like you know, sometimes it's a bit to say you had notes for an episode and be like, uh-huh. you, know, you left it at work or something. Um, I I basically remember what, what my notes are, and a lot of it is is Laura Dean specific related, and uh, <laughs> you know, an interesting character, uh, one that uh, you know. If you've lived a life, you might be able to, uh, you know, everyone's got their Laura Dean, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I had notes for this episode, and then I watched an episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi and needed to light something on fire. And oh, that's the closest thing to, that was the closest thing to me. Wow, interesting. Uh, I mean, you know, I that admire means you... the dedication of having your notes on physical paper. Oh, totally. Oh, that's where it's it is. Thanks. Good. Yeah, I was wondering where it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all the puzzle. <laughs> So uh, we're here to talk about uh, a a graphic novel called Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. Um, I have written in the notes, Happy Pride Month. It's not going to be Pride Month by the time people listen to this episode. Well, I mean, yeah, every month month can be Pride Month, I think. It it has been Pride Month for three days since we are recording this episode. Yeah, Emily's not at her full power yet. I'm not. You just, you wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but no but you know very powerful already it's kind of scary Extremely. like i'm when we get to the next episode and the, you know i, I i'm i don't I'm not excited for the next episode you guys shouldn't be either oh um, i'm super stoked but uh you <laughs> know nothing that excites me more than than the next episode of this show but panda's which, gonna be on, some, on something to. special alex i don't think that you got to see but john did as part of pride month i am wearing my uh Woo! my snot girl shirt I That's had so a, cool you have it. 
I had a shirt that I was going to wear that I was looking for that just says super gay on it, but uh, I couldn't find it when I was unpacking, and I did find the Snot Girl shirt, so I figured they're basically the same thing. It's a fantastic shirt, and it's, like, even more fantastic because there's so little Snot Girl comic out there Mm. that, like, you know, it's nice to have a piece of something. We should do Snot Girl. (laughs) for this show i you know there's so much to talk about in it but like i don't know i'm at this point put out another issue and then we'll do it that's that's our that's you know that's what we're doing brian o'malley these are our demands please uh we're we're talking about laura dean keeps breaking up with me this is a you don't want to talk about snot girl i I we can talk about snot oh i mean we can and i will i love snot girl and we'll take any opportunity to talk about it best comic of the year every year no matter if an issue has come out or not i think laura dean could be uh a character in snot girl oh 100 percent. 100 percent. it's it's got that vibe but uh yeah. I think the rest of the characters wouldn't quite cut it, but Laura no, no. Dean, the they would Laura they Dean. would get eaten apart, or they just leave. I think I, I think that would you know mostly they, I think they like, would just uh, leave. This, this vibe is not it's not it. But tell us Emily. about Laura Dean keeps breaking up with yeah you. yeah he, I didn't he, know if you he, had he anything more to say about Snot Girl. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I <laughs> don't don't start us down that path because you know don't one challenge day. me on it, that one. This is a twenty minute twenty minute podcast that we're striving for. Oh week. yeah, twenty minutes. That's gonna be how long we talk tonight. I believe that yeah, we're already yeah. a quarter of the way through the show, guys. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, no, Laura Dean. Oh. <laughs> I was gonna shout out our sponsor, but we don't have any. No, Sorry, like no, it's, it's in the show notes. Like, Alex, who's our sponsor? <laughs> you guys can't see, but in the show notes we have like sponsor, um, you know, sponsor call out. But it's we've no sponsor yet, so that could be you. Yeah, this episode is sponsored by uh, Caravella Limoncello Origina. Oh, that's Italian. Fuck that. I don't <laughs> want that anymore. <laughs> Arizona green tea. Arizona green tea. You know, as a lesbian, I love eating out, and that's why I've partnered with DoorCash for today's episode. As a lesbian, oh I enjoy God. eating to survive. <laughs> like, <laughs> I enjoy giving my body the needed uh, nutrients it needs to function on a daily basis. It's a straight male. I also enjoy eating out, but they don't sponsor us during Pride Month, you know? Yeah, every other month, though. Actually, only sponsored me. I'm the only person yeah. getting sponsorship <laughs> money. They sent you a paycheck. Like, I thought, yeah, were, the other two can get a paycheck next month. It's, just... And, and like, the other 11 months of the year, I guess, right? If so. the two of you got paychecks this month, it would be homophobia, legally. So. Well, unless it was, like, a, like, coming out thing where, like, we didn't know either. And it was, like, we get sent a check, so we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Wouldn't that be insane? <laughs> That's how you find out. You just get money. We could both performatively Honestly. come out as bi, and you know, just be like, it, it doesn't really impact us. Like I can say, like, oh, yeah, no. like I mean, who would who would be able to fact check that? But yeah, no okay. one can fact it, check it. No wouldn't one it be? Wants to date me anyway. Wouldn't it be a great way if matter. like. If the process of coming out was as simple as someone pays you money, like like that's that's all the drama. It's like <laughs> uh, you get anywhere between one and like fifty thousand dollars. Nobody it's, it's even like paid me when I came out. They just sent me to therapy. Well, they paid for that. So this is actually what conservatives wow. in America believe happens. It's like people just get Soros bucks, and it's like, yeah, I'm trans. <laughs> if only I would be trans for some Soros bucks. I'm, I'm saying. 
I'm not trans, but five dollars is five dollars. If anybody, a little if anybody remembers, well, no, if anybody remembers those uh, t-shirts from the early 2000s that said "I'm not gay, but five dollars is five dollars." That's True. gross. I don't remember those at all. But that... well, you didn't live in the United States when I was a child. Yeah. I saw I saw one of those shirts or something similar to that at a con once, and I did like a triple take, and I was like, "What?" Ew. That's and, almost and worse go. than Ahegal merge, which is a hundred percent worse than Ahegal merge. That's the the like, yeah. You're only uh, people are only gay to be prostitutes. Hey, Alex, um, just real quick, do you know what Ahegal merch is? No. Okay. Um, have you ever seen? Don't tell him. Ha- I know I'm going to. Have the you, audience. Have you ever? Well, you can anybody who whoever is editing this episode can choose to edit this segment out. Uh. But I doubt you will. Uh, Ahigal merch is, have you ever seen at a convention, and maybe not because I don't know how many anime conventions you go to, but um, like guys wearing either like shirts or pants or whatever with like just pictures of anime girls making orgasm faces. Oh yeah, yeah. De- I've definitely seen some hoodies. Ahigal is like the name for like that face uh that is being made during the orgasm john please don't uh i'm glad we're an audio only podcast you know what for the listeners john just made an ahigal face it was perfect and if you'd like to see it you can uh, follow him on twitter at mountain do like her or he'll have posted it so so yeah that's my calm i post a selfie on twitter right after it's you did post a selfie on twitter right before this recording Uh, oh that's true well, he's got a pre-game ritual. Oh, I'm sorry. Our uh, our intern posted a selfie of yeah. John Luke. Yeah, get it get right it before. When did we get a Twitter account? That's and pretty our, cool. Our yeah. intern, uh, what is what is their name? Yeah, Chad. Why would we name? Why would we share the name of our? They're a fucking unpaid intern. Isn't it? Isn't it Chad? Isn't is, have, is, is, is that the story? Interns have no value. Like, come on, they they make tweets. That's, That's they're the, unpaid. They do the lowest form of posting. The lowest form of posting. I feel like I could think of lower forms of posting. Well, they could do more quote tweets. That would be that would be a lower form of posting. Anyway, Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Is a graphic <laughs> novel written by Mariko Tamaki and illustrated by Rosemary Valero O'Connell. Uh, something that I learned while uh, doing some research about this book was that as a teenager, Valero O'Connell was inspired by Tamaki's work and I. Uh, use that as a, a way to begin working on comics of her own so i think it's kind of cute that they got to work together on this book yay this it was published by first second books on may 7th 2019 uh first second books also publishes another series that i like the uh graphic novelization of the adventure zone podcast that, that's an that, that's a fun sentence you just said. Uh, well, yeah, the the Adventure Zone podcast is a a D and D podcast, and the first second graphic novel is like an an adaptation of like their campaign, or at least that's their cool. their first campaign. First second also did um uh, the sculptor, which is a which is a good Scott McCloud yeah, book. That yeah, they did. I forgot that uh, I forgot that they did that. 
Tomaki cites the television series My So-Called Life and Freaks and Geeks, as well as John Hughes films as influence on this book. Uh, and Valero O'Connell, some, something that I also, another thing I learned while researching this book, uh, Valero O'Connell sold her artwork for this graphic novel as a fundraiser for Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign. Let's fucking go. That's so based. I honestly wish that I had read this earlier so that I could have uh, attempted to spend an inordinate amount of money on... I gave so much money to the Bernie Sanders 2020 campaign, I might have well gotten some, like, yeah, you, Dean pages. In you basically, you, know. you should have been able to buy some of these pages. I, I spent, like, two paychecks on that campaign. I was so excited. That's awesome, though. That is a really, that, I didn't know that either. That is super cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, the book is about, uh, our main character, Frederica Freddie Riley, and uh, it is about her struggles with her on again, off again relationship with the eponymous Laura Dean. So, um, had you guys read this book before? Before the podcast, yes, but not before the, uh, the, uh, you know, Emily b- says. before we picked it out yes. for this podcast, had you? I'm read like it halfway before? through it right now. no i i hadn't read it before i it was like perpetually on display in my comic book store when i lived in in dc you know Mm -hmm. days but i i had never read it and honestly when i saw it when i when you picked it and then i saw that it came out in 2019 Mm -hmm. i was shocked both because well a 2019 feels like forever ago and also i had thought that this book had been out for like years i also (laughs) thought that it had been out for much longer. Yeah, like as somebody who has read, been reading like Mariko Tamaki comics for like, I don't know, six or seven years at this point. Like, I think I read this one summer, like around the time it came out. I was like, oh yeah, Laura Dean came to come with me. That's like the first thing she did, right? That was like the breakout book. because And, and that's just because it was like, at, like at my comic book store, it was like always mm-hmm. like hyped up and because pe- the people there loved it. And I was like, Oh, that's that's super cool. Um, uh, yeah, and then I saw that it was not, and that it was actually like came out after like this one summer in Lumberjanes and She Hulk and mm-hmm. like, all the things that like she's been known for. I'm like, oh, okay, that uh, it was just interesting. I was just I was surprised to to find out that this wasn't like yeah an early part of her career. I had like heard about it, but never had anyone recommend it to me. I like I knew of it its existence somehow. Like the book existed, and then uh, decided to do it for the show, and I was like, oh, cool, nice sick yeah i had not read it before but i had like i had probably owned it since if not early 2020 like probably within a couple of months of it coming out like this was something that i heard about and i saw the cover image and like i didn't need any more convincing so like i bought it and then just never read it and i used this show as an excuse to finally make myself read it uh (laughs) not that i didn't want to just that like it makes it easier yeah sometimes you just put things off uh for no reason other than the fact that you have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder sometimes having an impetus to read things really is like a kick in the pants that it you can help it. yeah you know, as i you know 
comic book I've been meaning to read for like three years that I'm reading right now that will be a future episode of this show. Very excited uh, about that. So, but you know, that's neither here nor there. So I, I understand that for sure. Mm-hmm. But like, I've also been like, it, it's been a book that's in the back of my head is like, I should read that. And I'm always like, when I'm reading comics, when I'm like looking for something to read, it's like always gets pushed down, but I'm glad that I uh, finally had a, a reason to get around to it. Uh, what do you guys think about uh, Laura Dean herself? Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I did find my notes before we started, and the Ooh. first note I have is that Laura Dean is a meanie. Uh, yeah, so, I think she's. I think she's based actually, based on a lot of people I know more like. No, not a lot of people. <laughs> one person at least. I actually, one of the things I like most about this book is how like. It feels real, like, a lot of times, like, relationships, and I don't even mean just, like, romantic relationships, but, like, just relationships between people can be kind of, like, filed down in the process of making a a story, and this feels very, like, messy in a way that's very true to life, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah john Luke, you, you have to have friends in real life for this to really make friends. sense they're in my they're in my computer yeah the, the way you said computer and your face lit up was really cute though <laughs> it was a cute little, like they're always in my computer it's nice. in my computer. But, yeah but like also like the the, the character of laura dean which i'm sure we'll get into um it's it's like that person who's never never like makes time for you or when they do it's like on their own terms kind of thing and i think you know there's a lot of people in my life over the years where it's like oh like this like definitely see them being a laura dean-esque person yeah like it doesn't even have to be like in a romantic relationship type situation like i've had plenty of just like platonic friends who it felt like you know I was, it was always on me to be available to them rather than the other way around. 100%. I keep asking Jean-Luc to watch Obi-Wan Kenobi and he watched it without me, so. I, t- I pinged you in Discord. Yeah, you did. It was, it was nice. And I didn't watch it. It was, it was cool. I, I really regret, oh God, I don't want to talk about it. We're not going to talk about Kenobi. <laughs> okay. I, I don't see how you watched that episode, and I feel like you love it because of one thing that happened. I'm not going to say it because, yeah. but like you know, like but like you, there's there's no way you hated it that much because it opens a door for you. It's sort of like how Laura Dean keeps coming back to Freddy because the sex seems really good. That was my read on it, at least. I keep coming back for Obi Wan Kenobi because the Quinlan Voss references are really good. <laughs> oh, horrible. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I want to, you know, Quinlan Voss is just like having sex with your girlfriend, in my opinion. It's something that you have a lot of experience with. What, Quinlan Voss? Yeah. He does. <laughs> <laughs> I've read so many Quinlan Voss co- Oh, hey. There aren't, Voss comics. there aren't that many Quinlan Voss comics. There's a whole omnibus of Quinlan Voss comics. Oh, I have that one actually in my other room. <laughs> but no, yeah, like, Laura Dean is a very... <laughs> All right, we'll stop talking about Quinlan Voss. <laughs> Laura Dean, I mean, Laura Dean is a very compelling, I mean, I guess the thing is, is that she herself is not a compelling character, but the things that she does to other people make for, like, really juicy, like, storytelling drama. Mm. Because there's, 
because it's not just what she does and sorry if i'm getting ahead of uh ahead of myself here emily but uh it's not just what she like the effect that she has on freddie necessarily because like you know obviously throughout this comic it's this whole like freddie keeps feeling like she she loves laura dean and wants to keep going back to laura dean and you know laura dean sort of seems mostly indifferent except at a couple points um and the sort of like knock-on effects that that has on uh the rest of like freddie's social circle is a big part of this comic and a part that i like found super super compelling because it was it was sort of like it's not only that like laura dean keeps coming back in this way that is like borderline abusive to to freddie but also that it 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 forces freddie into this position where she like is so smitten that she like takes time away from like her other friends to yeah to pursue this even though like it's it's something that like in pursuing it it's kind of it's you know you it's never gonna happen and yeah that's sort of like the big realization is that like it's not you know there's nothing to that relationship really at the end of the day no matter how like in love she is it and it's also interesting that like i mean you know when you're in a relationship with someone and like they're they're important to you you and you spend a lot of time with them you do spend less time with other people like you know that that will happen but it's like about like it wouldn't happen to me no you'd always hang out with the boys 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 uh but yeah it's it's also a matter of like when you're i I feel like when you're like secure in a relationship and you're like good about it you 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 don't spend all your time about that person at the same time you need to be your own person outside of it too um and with this it's like she's not really you know the the main character is not really like with laura dean she is but she's like laura dean's always there kind of thing like like she's always a presence where like the second laura dean calls her over does something she's there and like that's just it, it it's just handled so well that like laura dean's character in this where you're like oh but it's also like you you can kind of see why it would have why she would have this effect on um on the on the main on freddie yeah see john luke you say that laura dean is not a compelling character and i would like to counter with the fact that she's very hot <laughs> and that's very important. Yeah, she's not my type, is the thing. It's, well, um... I wouldn't think so. <laughs> All things I, I considered, mean, no, no, no. Like that's, I'm sympathetic to that argument. I, 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 I would, I would, I would posit some similar arguments for some other, for you know, uh, Quinlan Boss, for example. But no, no, no. I, I, I totally understand. I, I like that is a that is a very valid. Uh, it's very valid and especially like as you're like when you're a teen like a person who is very attractive also being interested in you might as well be hanging the moon and stars like yeah it's like that can be such like a a powerful influence on your like decision making for good or for ill and we see in this book that it is mostly for ill and like everyone in Freddy's life can see this. Yeah. And it's not like, there's not like a, an earth shaking moment where like, you know, her choosing, her choosing to, to like, you know, be with Laura or like pine for Laura, like has huge, huge repercussions and like, Oh my gosh, someone died or like, you know, in a bombastic it's just like way. Death of a thousand cuts with all yeah. of her friendships. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's wild how connected her like infatuation with Laura Dean like affects all her relationships and everything and her ability to make new ones and her like uh 
which I think is just it's, it's handled handled so well. Yeah. Uh, did you have a yeah. favorite? Oh, sorry. I was going to ask another oh. question, but if you had more to say, I won't. No, I was just going to say, I mean, like the, uh, such an important thrust of this comic is like even more so than the relationship between Freddie and Laura Dean is like Freddie's relationship with her best friend, um, whose name I'm on doodle doodle. Yeah. Uh, I knew it was, you know, it's a, you know, like Flanders would say doodle uh um and you sort of see that fall apart in a way that like it it feels like such a real experience in the sense that like that's the kind of thing that happens to people when they're young and you know have sort of devoted uh divided loyalties to somebody that to two people that they love but one person that they love in a way that is totally different uh, than yeah, the way they love, for sure. Not, you know, than the way that they love that other the other person in it. Uh, the the sort of like all consuming, and I think it's so important the like sort of all consuming nature of of Laura Dean that like hangs over the story in the way that like the Joker would hang over a Batman arc. You know, and, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, yeah. like, and it's not it's not no, really like... the same thing, but the storytelling device is is very similar because you know yeah. when you're. When you read anything, you can, there are like these, when you read anything in Laura Dean, there's like these sort of smaller moments of like, you know, she's at the rest, she's at work, living her life, she's at home, talking to her her parents at dinner, she's hanging out with her friends, and the whole time you're like, this, all of this could get fucked up if Laura Dean rings the doorbell or or walks over to their lunch. Yeah. And like, Laura's not in the book a lot, like compared to the other characters and supporting cast and stuff, but it's, it's just such a, it's so neat that her presence in it is like every page, like every page I turned, I was like, is Laura Dean going to show up? Is she going to do something? Is she going to call? Is she going to text? Is she going to wake up again? Well, and that's like kind of mirroring the experience of Freddy throughout like most of the book is like, is Laura Dean going to show up? Is she going to text me? Is she going to acknowledge that I exist? She's like a slasher villain in the sense that like, she will strike again. (laughs) She'll like strike again. And then, like, she'll, like, murder you, and then it's, like, a happy death day where, like, you relive it again, right? It's just, like, oh, it's coming again. Yeah. And, and you know and you know what's coming, and, like, you can't really escape from it. Except, and know. it'll be the most innocuous moments. Like, one of my favorite moments in this book is that scene where they're uh, Freddy and um, Doodle and their two gay friends are sitting, like, on, like, outside during, like, lunch, presumably at school. And Laura Dean just, like, walks over and, like, squeezes Freddy's shoulder and then walks away. And it's, like, such, like, an innocuous moment. But you just see through the art just, like, how devastating that is. Like, Freddy is, like, instantly, like, like you just... And there's, like, no dialogue in there, really, either. It's just, like, you see Freddy all of a sudden become, like, totally smitten. Like, her face totally changes. And the other three just, like almost are like repulsed by by it and and rightfully so but it is like such a perfect like encapsulation of what that relationship is like i think and and the the dynamics that are at play there it's like that moment in particular is like something that is really like it stuck with me when i read it originally and then like rereading it i was just like oh yeah this this is such a fucking great moment like just from a like every like everything about like the storytelling mechanisms of that moment it's just like 
everything is firing on full cylinder. It's it's really really good. I feel like the art does such like a like I I don't want to say heavy lifting because I don't want to imply that like I I like the story. I don't think that it is like badly written. I just think that like the art in this book is so good that it like elevates everything in it. Yeah, I, I would I personally would say I think the art does do a lot of heavy lifting in this book and that's not taking away anything from like Mariko Tamaki's writing. I've seen similar um, sentiments on like Goodreads. Uh I was doing some some looking around before we started recording this and yeah. uh there's definitely disproportion or there's definitely uh I don't want to say disproportionate, but like there is a lot more praise on the art as opposed to the narrative. But it's comics. That's what that's what comics are, and that's the beauty of the medium, right? Is that like, you know, Mariko Tamaki is a great is a, is a great writer, mm. but at the end of the day, so much of the burden of comics is on the shoulder of the oh, yeah. artist to make it all come together. Comics it's, live or die by the quality yeah. of their art. Right, exactly. And so I think it's more than fair to say that like the art does do a lot of the heavy lifting and it's because, you know, so good it's really it good it's i mean it's like it's a style that has sort of been like drug almost kicking and straight screaming into the mainstream now uh <laughs> and, and not kicking not that the artists are kicking and stre- screaming but that like traditional well, comic book readers are kicking and screaming about it being drug into the mainstream it's definitely not like a traditional comic format <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's well, it's, it's yeah. not it's, it's not DC house style. That's it's not sure. DC or Marvel house style, yeah. but it has become like more Marvel house style like in recent years. Mm-hmm. I I just love the uh, like the, the the use of pink like as as sort of that accent yes. color. Yes, one of it, my discussion questions is about the color palette, the limited color palette of this book. Yeah. Then I'll save that for that. No, no, uh, no. We can we up. can do that now. We're is, doing it now. I'm, I'm transitioning into that question. I, I hope you have your points ready, Alex. <laughs> I do. I do. Very much so. How do you feel about the limited color palette of this book, Alex? I I really like it. I I think it's a you know it's it's a striking visual visual device that that works that works really well and it's like it's it's sort of the similar thing like um we've read a lot of um books by um oh my gosh uh, Andrea Sorrentino and he uses the color red a lot as this like striking piece in, in in a lot of his books and it's like it really stands out and it kind of like adds to his horror techniques uh, i think this one really hit, fit, fit the vibe of the writing though like this pink sort of like bright color but stuff's going on, on and it's like it's everywhere but it's not necessarily on every page and it just kind of like comes in comes out and in a way it was sort of like oh like that that's sort of like the presence of like laura dean in this book where like she's always there it's always there's, there's always that pink like it's nice and thing and then it's like oh, oh oh but she's always on your mind and she's always always in there um so I hated the art. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I 100% agree. I not on the hating the art part. I loved, I love, I love the visuals <laughs> of this book, but I, but I think that like to up to a certain point, like I understand why pink was the chosen color, but up to a certain point when you're right in a black and white comic, having like any, like one choosing like any one accent color goes so far in terms of, and it's a very, like, I don't want to say it's a very simple thing. Cause I feel like that does, that takes away from it. But it is a like from a from a reader's perspective, it's a very easy to understand and very easy to interpolate thing of like when something is in pink, that 
you know, it, it, it signifies something and it signifies typically in this book, some kind of like heightened emotional state of, of, of a character or like yep. something about to happen. And I think actually, I, I didn't even think about this, but Alex's point about it being like, Oh, it's like this always like lurking presence of, of that's actually of Laura Dean. That's actually a really good point. I hadn't even thought about that before, but that, that actually Alex, your brain is as, so big. No, right. but it actually strikes me as a very compelling, uh, makes me wonder. Those are the kinds of observations, like make me want to go back and read a comic again, like thinking about like with that in mind of like, Oh shit, that's really cool. And, and it's a very, it's a very readable book. And like the art plays a huge role. Not oh, like, absolutely. This is not one where you're like, it, it was not a slug at all. I, I, I think I read this. I read this twice. Uh, into the podcast and i think it took me like an hour each time like it was like three nice volumes like probably like 250 pages or something like that and uh real good flow yeah i uh the first time i read this as mentioned previously i read it in its entirety while i was waiting for us to record the last episode of this podcast i just thought (laughs) oh i'll start it and then suddenly i was done because it's just like such a uh, as I've said before, easy breezy, beautiful cover girl. It's just an easy read. Like it's yeah. the like the flow of it is just so like the art is just so good. I I don't know how many different ways I can say that. Like it it just makes for such like a visually pleasing reading experience, which is like the ideal experience for a graphic novel. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I would even posit that obviously the art plays a big role in like how easy it is to read, but it's it's also like I don't want to say it's not challenging, but it's the problems that the characters have in this book are just like normal teen problems. Yeah. They're not like it's not, you know, it doesn't end with like, oh shit, and they have to like prevent the right from closing down or whatever. Oh, okay. Or well, that fight. too. <laughs> I, I was not going to go with the fight doomsday scale, but you know. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm diseased. I, I would have I would have said something about another. Th- I would have made another Queen of the Lost reference there. You know. <laughs> uh, no, but I but like it's it's very much just like, and this is something that I, I love it when I love it when like, and I, and I, and I'm not saying this this doesn't come at the cost of like more challenging comics, but I love it when there is like when comics or movies or anything are like solely focused on like sort of like these average like everyday problems will you love a coming of age story it's a slice of life ish one yeah i I really do and and it's one of the things that like you know as i've gotten older has become like sometimes i like go back and i watch edge of 17 and a movie that means a lot to me i'm like oh this is a little bit cringe uh so (laughs) you know as i've gotten older that's definitely happened but i i can't resist the like inner part of me that loves the that does love that sort of uh those coming of age narratives and that's i think and and coming of age narratives are very like they're they're, they're pretty simplistic at the end of the day and there's like an allure to that that like this is a really really easy reading because it sort of situates the the situation uh of like of freddie and laura dean and like in a way that like until the very end is just like you know it's just some teens who are maybe in love with each other maybe not you know sort of learning about Mm -hmm. what that might mean for them and going back and forth in a way that makes it like hard to, to to like really say that anyone in this book is a bad person even if you think that like the way that Laura dream the Laura Dean treats Freddie is like fucked up but like she's 17 or something like people are fucked yeah. up when they're 17 I mean she's like, she, she's a meanie but I'm like you know she's 17 like yeah, you know who else is a meanie? Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss you know 
Ayo, real heads know. <laughs> yeah, and it's like uh, what I'm saying is Laura Dean is just like Asajj Ventress. Dead? Oh, sorry, spoiler no. at the end of the book. No, that doesn't happen. But uh, it's yeah. I mean, these I mean, like she's cool. Okay. And she is cool. I I will say that for for everything that Laura Dean does, she is very oh, she's very, very cool. cool. She's she, so cool. She kind of she kind of she yeah yeah. There, there yeah. was a kernel when I said earlier. I think she's based. There was a kernel of truth in that. I like. Wow. You don't just give that away. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't like, just say anything. Like, really like if you know Jean Luc, he doesn't. You know, he doesn't throw around based a lot. Not, Never. Not no, it's just a. I don't think you do. So Did you guys <laughs> have a favorite character in the book? Not really. Um, and, and and it's not so much like. It's not. It's not. It, I don't. I, I don't say that in a way as like I think the characters are bad or anything. I, I would hope that by. By this point, it's clear that I think that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but there, the, the, personally, there, there wasn't anybody that I like particularly latched onto as like this is the character that I'm rooting for. Like, obviously, I was rooting for Freddy the whole time. Yeah. She's the POV character. She's very sympathetic. Um, but I, I, there wasn't a character that like stood out for me as like you know this person. Well, except for she shows up. She's only there for like three pages. But that one girl that Freddie makes out with at the art exhibit. I yes! thought she was really cool. Yes. She's yep. calling her a character might be a bit of a stretch, but she rocked. Uh, I love the bit where she's like, hey, it's not my fault. She said like she was making out with me. What am I supposed to do? I didn't know she was an emotional wreck. Not my problem. Like, I, that's I don't know. I yeah. find that really endearing. I find those types of people. Really that was endearing. very good. Well, like, yeah, you know, really hot person you want to make out with doesn't really know anything about the scenario. Doesn't doesn't have the information necessary to make a good decision. So you can't really say she made a bad decision. Um, but you know, she just she played the hand she was dealt. <laughs> Sometimes you got to play the hand you're dealt. Yeah, I'd say my my favorite and my least favorite are both Laura Dean because I just think it's <laughs> it's like the impact that she has on the book and the characters is just so strong. Even if I'm like I don't like this person, like, I don't like it, but it's also like, yeah. And Freddie, I felt was like, sure she's the POV character, but also like, you know, it's she's treating her friends like shit, right? And it's like for me, it was like I wanted to see her story and I don't really fault her for it, but she wasn't my favorite character for it, and she like. You know the the journey she went on. I'm I'm happy for, but in terms of like impact, it's just like I don't know. Maybe I'm smitten with Laura Dean in this too. Maybe I didn't <laughs> well, learn the lesson that Freddie learned. Freddie is the best kind of sympathetic character where she perpetually makes bad decisions, and you're like, okay, but it's not that it, she can come back from this. You know, it's <laughs> it, which is which is great. Like it's it, like when you get a character like that who you know is so like such a holistic character where it feels like you have a really good grasp on like what her motivations are even if you don't like the decisions that she ends up on you understand how she arrives at those decisions um and that does really like like similarly i wouldn't say she's my favorite character for for similar reasons but she is a really well well composed sympathetic character and a really good, a really a protagonist in that sense as well. I think, and that's you know, yeah, I like Freddie a lot. Groundbreaking, but yeah, I like Freddie a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, Freddie is very Emily Core. 
I mean, the whole book, the whole book is Emily Corr. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was just served on a silver platter for me, and that's one of the reasons that I picked it is because, like, I had no doubt in my mind that I was gonna like this, and yeah, that's uh, how I feel about the book we're doing next uh, next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's just gonna be a carnival for me and John Luke, really and truly. First of all, it's in two weeks, so you know listeners have have a chance to like I don't know flee the country emotionally prepare. Yeah, but yeah, um, I would say Laura Dean is probably also my favorite character, um, because that I that doesn't surprise me. Like, because you're garbage. down bad right now. We get yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, just at all times. Uh, I mean, like, she's hot she's toxic like what more do i need to like a fictional character really is just those two things she's uh ostensibly blonde we don't have any colors in this comic but like i do tend to gravitate towards the the mean blonde in any uh fictional setting so that's just how it always plays out i like the quote by i don't remember which character it was but they were like you don't have to battle to the death with anyone and i was like oh it's a scott pilgrim reference (laughs) because you know it's relationships and it's like i I think it's doodle who says that when uh it's really i think it's pretty early on it's when uh freddie walks in on laura dean making out with another girl at a dance and doodle says the next morning well hey at least you don't have to battle you know any other any of her ex-girlfriends scott pilgrim which (laughs) hey if you like scott pilgrim check out (laughs) our previous episode episode two three episodes ago but yeah yeah oh yeah don't don't forget about pride of baghdad i would never I could never. It's Pride Month. We made this joke. (laughs) (laughs) The Pride of Baghdad episode came out in Pride Month. It is Pride of Baghdad Month. That's what Pride Month is short for. (laughs) Um, Have you guys ever had, like, I mean, I know this is like a personal question, so you don't have to answer this, but like, I did put it down as a discussion question. Have you ever, like, been in a situation where you or like your friends relationships are getting in the way of your like platonic friendships or your friend group dynamic yeah so sometimes you fire up discord uh (laughs) you put an at here ping in the channel in the lfg channel and you you know you're in apex legends you're playing a duo with one of your you're duoing with one of your other friends you need Mm -hmm. a third uh, you know, you see your friend Alex is a little green icon next to his name. You do an at here ping of like, hey, anybody want to play? Anyone want to be our third for Apex? No response. Well, uh, you know, similarly to Laura Dean, when you uh, when you uh, <laughs> when you at here, when you at here and you tell the whole world that you want to hang out with them instead of saying, hey, Alex, you want to hang out? Uh, you know, it hurts. It hurts. You can just say it. You can just admit that you want to spend time with Alex. You don't have to pretend like you want to spend time with everyone. I do want to spend time with everyone, though. It's just that of the people, you know, Alex is the one appearing online a lot. It's it's just the way things go. It's just the way things go. Look, when you have... So so the the reason I answer that is when you have a Discord server of people who are all single except for one, you you know, other people... Uh. Sorry, I can't do this bit anymore. Alex <laughs> plays Apex with me. I don't even play Apex anymore. Well, ho- hopefully soon. You haven't PC problems, but we'll get there. Yeah, no, I, I, I haven't. This this has never been a problem in my life. I hang out with a crew of people who uh, mostly identify as bull cells. Uh, and I've, I, that's, in, that's intentional. 
Well, um, you know, I What's support you in your journey. Oh, seven to the bull cells. <laughs> Alex, I, I what about you? I think every time I've been in a relationship with someone, it's like impacted it, uh, you know, you know, differently uh, in a, in the way it goes. Like, th- there was one where I like made a lot of friends through the person I was dating, and I'm like still friends with them. And then like that point where we broke up was kind of like, a, are they my friends too? Yeah, it, it can like, be yeah, kind of awkward. Yeah, and it, you know, it worked out there. Um, but like, I know I've been dating Madeline for like six years now, and it's like, it's a matter of like. I'm a Hey, I, you know what? I met you first. <laughs> you did? Live. And in person. <laughs> uh, but it's. I think it's a matter of like, as you know, we, we've been together for this long. So it's like making time for friends and stuff, which like you always have stuff going on, especially when you have someone who's like that important to you. Um, but just trying to like, you know, fi- find the time when Jean-Luc that pings me to be like, of course. And then pinging him back and then him not responding and then being like, wait. Was this a mistake? That never happens. <laughs> okay. I messaged you about the Obi-Wan episode, and I was like, Quidline, question mark, question mark. And it was like 6 a.m. your time. And that's fine. But then you never responded to that. And here we are. Oh, shit. I didn't respond to that. <laughs> Emily, how about you? Uh, yes. I thought I responded to that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh. If, uh, I've unfortunately, like, been. I've been in situations where uh, I'm just going to talk over John Luke. Uh, I've been in situations where like I have ignored or I mean I ignored sounds like I was doing it like with intent but like not paid as much attention to like platonic relationships as I should have like in comparison to like romantic relationships and like especially when i was younger like that's not something that i that's not something that i struggle with or have struggled with for like quite a while now but like you know as a teen as like in in my early early 20s uh was maybe something that was more of a like a concern probably is the right word to use but uh it is something that I I did kind of have to grow into like a better understanding of making sure that I am keeping like tabs on these non-romantic relationships because like they are also important and it can people can feel like you are taking them for granted and it's important to make sure that that's not happening. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because, and I think this is something that the comic does very well, is that, like, it is capturing how overwhelming the, the feeling of, like, being in love with Laura Dean is for Freddy. And, like, you know, you don't even have to be in a relationship to have, like, those feelings and have those feelings yeah. really overpowering. And, uh, you know, definitely can sympathize <laughs> with, like, you know, how fucked up and depressed... Uh... <laughs> uh you know freddie is at times i think something that this book does really well is sort of illustrating just through like the conversations that they have at the beginning of this book like the fact that at the at the point that we are joining this story freddie's friends have like gotten to the end of their patience (laughs) like they 
have clearly been and tried to have been like supportive of her and like understanding of her situation but like they are increasingly losing their patience with the up and down of the Laura Dean relationship and as rightly they should like you shouldn't have to just like put up with this sort of thing just because like your friend is going through it with a hot person like you know you got to take care of yourself too yeah and that's something that really comes to a head i think in in, in this book as well and i don't know i know you, I, I having seen your your discussion questions i don't know i well maybe we get into that in a little bit but it, it is something that i think the book handles really well is that like uh freddie really does have a choice at the end of, to make of like what is more important to mm-hmm. her is it this like on again off again relationship with laura or is it you know the people who have presumably been with her much longer and she has a, a different mm-hmm. in some ways deeper relationship with yeah and i think it's interesting too that like the, the, the quote or like she's talking to someone uh freddie and and it's like you know saying that she, laura dean's broken up with her i think she's talking is she talking to a therapist at one point um she okay i don't think she's ever talking to a therapist but she is routinely writing into a like advice column and she also has a conversation with uh i wouldn't call call this person a therapist but they kind of serve a therapist function yeah it it was like specifically the line that like to get over someone who's broken up with you you need to break up with them yes which is like an it was an interesting sort of like idea idea where it's like how can you break up with someone who's already broken up with you but it's also like i think you know making that decision that you're ready to break up with them even if it's not necessarily the thing you wanted to do is important um yeah i and i think that like the the breaking up that needed to happen wasn't necessarily like i mean it is in the function of the story like freddie making the choice to actually like break things off with laura but it also had to be the emotional journey of like actually feeling like you can cut yourself off from this relationship because cutting off a relationship is like it can be so much harder than it seems for like a multitude of factors like even just like and not even just like romantic relationships like cutting off friendships can just be really difficult for complicated reasons and I really felt like this book kind of got kind of got the the way that that can be such a a process of like accepting what you need to do and then actually doing it yeah and I mean that's really I wouldn't say that that's all that this book is but that's the main thing where like at the beginning as a reader you're like okay Laura Dean's bad news for Freddie you know that Mm -hmm. and it but 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 it never as much as like you know uh reading it i was rooting for her to like make the decision uh it was never that i was like oh come on hurry up and do it now like Mm -hmm. i wasn't angry at her for not doing it like it it does make sense in the context of the book and in the context of i guess you know real life why it would take this long and the the relationships all around her really uh really were nicely fleshed out even if the characters weren't like you know my favorites around it they just like worked so well (laughs) 
Uh, do you like Forbes writer Rob Salkowitz? <laughs> this is a horrible question that I've written, but I uh, love this. This is my favorite one. <laughs> do you feel like the uh, depoliticized and unfussy depiction of gender fluid teen culture in the 2010s makes Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me a step forward in LGBTQ graphic literature? I know that asking. Uh, I'm not going to make any assumptions, but two ostensibly uh, straight cis guys about not ostensible. Uh, advances <laughs> in uh, LGBTQ graphic literature is uh, maybe a, a weird thing to felt, do. It but... felt natural. It, it didn't feel like it was something where they were being like, oh my gosh, look, we have gender fluid. It just felt like it was a relationship. It was never like you know and that, that that's all it is right but like there are some books that try to like that aren't so like that, that don't that are like trying to hmm how to say that like their intentions might be good with it but by like making it stand out so much instead of just presenting it as like you know it's normal relationship stuff it actually delegitimizes what they're kind of saying mm-hmm. a, a little bit so i think you know, from from my perspective, at least, I thought it was a, a good way of like doing that. So there's a there is a big problem, I think. In well, I think there was an issue in like with like a lot of straight writers trying to write LGBT characters in. I don't know. I want to say like the early 2010s, uh, where it was like, look at this really special, unique person, isn't it? so cool how special and unique they are of course the character being you know you know gay and so in you know one way or another that that feels like it's talking down to (laughs) to gay readers or or very 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 like commercial of like you know we gotta put this in the fucking new york times that this character is gay as like a way of selling more books um and this is Comics a different a different... first gay character yeah it's, it's 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 the classic disney like oh they've had like right, nine, exactly. 19 first gay characters like right. so you guys, you guys you guys know what i'm talking about you know the the there's a character in Lightyear that's pixar's first gay character what about the character in that was also anyway but you, you guys know what i mean like this is very much this is much more like yeah these you know gay people are are people too it's they're like a normal part of the fabric of society and that's something that we should all accept and there is I, I there is something utopian about a book like Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me that I think there are critiques that you can levy against that. I, I believe that fully. One of the things that really rubbed me the wrong way is at, at the beginning of this, there's like, Har- uh, there's that Harvey Milk bit where they're talking about him in history classes. Like that was an era where you couldn't just be gay in American politics. And it's like, dog, if you're gay in American politics, it's fucking over. It's over for you. Like it, it's not a, you know, just look what they did to Andrew Gillum in Florida, who like, you know, had sex with his gay partner, and it came out in the media, and they fucking destroyed his career over it. And this was like a year, like eighteen months ago, you know, like, and and I think that, so. I think that that like talking about it in that context is like that rubs me the wrong way, um, because there are a lot of struggles, and and obviously I'm not in part of the LGBT community, but. Sort of, it, that, that, that almost feels like it trivializes the struggles of, like, you know, Pete Buttigieg ran for president, so it's normal to be gay in American politics now. Like, it's not true, it's not real, I, I think that it's... But I also think that there is value in having those more 
a utopian stories in a world where like you know maybe in the world of laura dean it's like it's very much resembles our world except for in this one way where like now it is normal to be gay in american society and right. i think that telling stories like that is uh it's it's important and when it's done this well it's like indistinguishable from stories that straight people have had about themselves for 200 years and i think that there's like a there should be more of a space carved out for like those stories to be told about gay people as well and i think that there's something like aspirational uh about laura dean that is also really valuable so i, I like it's the kind of thing where you know I, despite whatever like sort of quibbles i may have with it's i don't want to call it whitewashing of american society but you know it, it, at the end of the day i you know i would rather this than most other stories about lgbt people that 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 hit the mainstream yeah it's sort of there is like there's a very fine line and it's kind of difficult to figure out like how much of each side of each like part of this issue to incorporate in a story like on the one hand like there are plenty of stories about queer people and queer relationships that are very realistic to like the kinds of struggles that these types of relationships happen to face, but also like that can be such a fucking downer. And I think that ultimately like having stories where queerness and queer relationships are treated as normal is a net good even if it is not like necessarily like representative of reality uh and like i i like to think of uh the video game night in the woods uh is sort of one that i feel has sort of a similar take on queerness that this book does where it's just sort of like uh like when it happens it's just sort of a normal part of the story as opposed to like care like characters don't really have to come out in this story like nobody like there's no big deal about anybody being queer in some capacity and like that can be very refreshing i know that that can be kind of frustrating for people who see it as sort of unrealistic but at the same time like I don't think it's a bad thing to strive to portray a slightly more utopian ideal of uh, the way society <laughs> treats queer people in fiction. I would just say that to be fair, like in Night in the Woods, like a big thrust of like Greg and Angus is that they don't want to be in their small town anymore because of the homophobia that they face and you just don't necessarily see that surfaced because so much of the story is told through the perspective of their friends. But I, I would argue that a big part of their characterization is that like they hate the, like, generalizing. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I do, I, I do think it's a, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. Like the point stands. It's just that I, I think that like, you know, if if Laura Dean and um, Freddie were were able to figure their shit out and be together, like it, it seems like in this world they could just settle down and like live a normal suburban life almost. And, uh, both of these works take place in 
very different uh like places like relative yeah, for sure. I mean, like this is like southern california and that's yeah some shit town in ohio uh yeah i'm well i mean i'm pretty sure that uh like night in the woods is sort of it seems to be modeled after like kind of like a west virginia mining town it's more yeah whereas like this this uh, laura dean te- definitely takes place in like san francisco basically which is like one of the gay capitals of the u.s so like it it gets a little more like on the realism bent of uh like it being more realistic for this sort of thing to be normal in that specific setting but both of these are works that you could uh criticize for being a little utopian in certain ways about like the homophobia aspect something that uh, uh that i'm interested in y'all's opinion on is uh during points of the book we see freddy's stuffed animals talking to each other uh sort of externalizing emotions from the narrative uh through the through them conversing with each other but like it's not something that like it's not like Freddy is hearing them talk, but uh, what did you think about this as like part of the storytelling? I saw in the reason I brought it up, uh, some of the reviews that I saw were like a little like mid on on this as a, a storytelling technique. So I was just interested in what you guys thought. It's way better than drowning the pages in monologue. I like. I like yeah. really like seriously like when you think about what the when you think about what the alternatives are and, and you know we're people who have all been reading comics and western comics for long enough that we have seen plenty of comics that like just love to put box after box after box of internal monologue on their pages oh and for I think sure this is, this is a much better way to do it and also like I I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but like, that's a thing that I think that's a thing people do. I mean, that's a thing that I did. I, maybe that's weird to say on a podcast, uh, but like, I talk, think, talk to yourself animals. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's not abnormal. Well, maybe when you're like 16 or 17, it becomes a little weird, but like, I don't think that it's an abnormal thing to like externalize certain like negative emotions to inanimate objects and to like try to have or at least try to have internal conversations absolutely like right like that's the kind of thing that is actually i think a very good narrative device and like because it 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 pivots from all of from all kinds of like sort of like i statements that freddie would make an internal monologue about how she's feeling to like actual points of dialogue yeah her parents were like gunned down in the alley and she's like doesn't know what to do (laughs) right yeah exactly that exactly that but you get that sort of conflict externalized in a way where yeah it feels like a real dialogue in the way that a lot of times like when you have when you have internal monologue in a character it doesn't even when that there's like internal conflict it doesn't always feel like monologuing gets you to the point where you actually establish the conflict is something that is like interesting to be invested in. Yeah. But when you see it sort of externalized in that way, and, and I mean, there's a way to do it. Uh, there's other ways to do it that I think might are, are more elegant than like making a 16 year old talk to her stuffed animals. Well, I mean, she's not really, she's not really talking to them. They're just sort of talking to each other. And like, yeah. I 
Yeah, but it's it is sort of her talking to it is her she's, talking to herself. But you know, like like yeah, okay, like she's sixteen, right? Like she's going through like a you know transitionary period. She's like in love with someone, or at least like you know infatuated with someone for like the first time. It seems like, and it's like it's kind of like that period where you're like maybe you leave your stuffed animals behind, right? But they're like I've never left my stuffed animals behind. I want all the listeners to know that <laughs> I have my Winnie the Pooh one on my bed. I have right three now. stuffed animals that I still keep close to me. If the listeners home. could even <laughs> conceive of how many like vacuum bags I have of stuffed animals like just behind me right yeah. now. You... It's a female mindset kind of thing. <laughs> full no, <laughs> full disclosure, I'm not saying I'm not saying people should throw out their stuffed animals when they turn sixteen. I'm just saying like stuffed animals are like, you know, Actually, as a kid you, you have a lot more. Fire? Like the one so just like John's yeah. notes for this episode. No, I mean, I, I, I think that it's like a really normal thing for people yeah. to like. If it's not stuffed animals, it's, you know, a pet or, a, you know, your cool yeah. action figures. The creepy guy who's like outside my window at night. Yeah. Dude, that's my ho- That's my guy. Yeah, I, I like that the stuffed animals can sometimes like... They are the thoughts that Freddy doesn't want to think consciously. Like, yeah. it's these these feelings that she's having that, like, she's kind of afraid to actually con- confront. There's also an element of this where the, she sort of, like, makes her own stuffed animals, and that's a thing that she does with Doodle. And yeah. Sort of a, a dynamic of this where it's, like, you know, it is her internal conflict and her internal monologue, but there is uh, an element of it that is sort of, like, almost like her talking to her best friend. Yeah. Or them being a stand-in for her best friend. That's sort of how I read it as, like, you know, it's not... She, she maybe doesn't want to vocalize those feelings to the actual person, but this is sort of, like, her way of dealing with that and it's not something that comes up super frequently but that is yeah mm-hmm. that, that, that's sort of but, but like you know by the end they you know they do have their their breakthrough together as friends and you know um and it's, it's it's a matter of her like feeling comfortable talking with her again or like seeing that like the thoughts she has and the actions she does has you know affects other people mm-hmm. and, and and that's that, that's a lot of this story it's like and so many coming of age things where you're like realizing that you you go from that part where you're a kid, you know, hopefully, you know, everyone's experience is different where you're like, you know, you're, you're like the most important in the world to your parents, maybe, or something, or you're mm-hmm. like, you you know, life should be, is generally pretty chill as a kid. It can be. And it just like maybe gets harder and harder and harder. And you're like breaking down these, these things you have. And as you see more of the world and things going on and it's, uh, uh, you learn that you're not the only one here <laughs> and that you're, your actions and stuff have impact on people, which yeah. is you know, what, she, what she goes through. Yeah, like the the impact that your actions have on other people is a big theme in this book. And it's also a big theme in just sort of growing up at all. So, uh, <laughs> my actions only impact me. Um, Not a problem I have. Yeah, definitely. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, they also impact Clement Boss. Of course. And Asajj Ventress. Rest no, of all. well. Used to. Sort of through Quinlan Voss. They impact, you know, it's complicated. Um, abortion is a, what? No, okay. it's a minor plot point. I, I guess, like, I, I don't want... Minor feels weird to say, because it is sort of like a... It's a pretty major plot point there. It's like, it's like the biggest single moment in the book. But yeah. It's like, 
it's like kind of the the big part of like the last third of the book. Yeah, the 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 whole like uh doodle is feeling you know excised from the group and has sex with her deep dungeons and dragons which is that is so fucked up having sex yeah. with your dm don't fuck your dms it. never even do. if they're all, even if they're your age it's weird. even if you're dating them never again never oh, again yeah. no never again that's, that's an imbalance that's ulti- of that's an imbalance of power which basically means it's pedophilia <laughs> it's, it's basically <laughs> it's grooming Right. It's basically grooming. It's not basically. It's basically pedophilia, but it is. Grooming. Oh no! I mean, like in in this specific. I was I was being glib. In well, in, in this, this case, it's both. In this specific instance, it definitely is like. I mean, we don't actually know how old he is, but he like the guy he's, is he's married. Like, he is married and like in a relationship and like is definitely taking advantage of a seventeen-year-old girl. It's definitely a Jeffrey Epstein style scenario. Yeah, Jeffrey Epstein definitely uh, was a dungeon master for the Dungeons and Dragons campaigns of all the underage girls that he assaulted. I mean, breaking news. You joke, but it's not too far off. There um, were dungeons and dragons. There were dungeons uh, and but, there were dragons, but those dragons usually go by Bill Clinton. So. It's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in this book, like abortion, it's like, it's. It's obviously it, it is handled as a big deal in their lives because it's like, hey, like being in high school and getting pregnant is something that's like, you know, that's something that's a, a lot. <laughs> I did it. It was fine. <laughs> and little John I... Jr. is out there doing fine. <laughs> yeah, wherever Jean-Luc left him. Little Qui-Gon is out there just doing fine. Uh, Qui-Gon's actually older than Quinlan Boss. Anyways, the book, so it, 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 it treats the abortion as like, it, it treats the pregnancy as a big thing. And then I think it treats the abortion as like a, like, as like, a, as a thing that would like, you know, it's stressful for, for, for the character, but it's something that like is accepted. And it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of like the biggest thing in the book, but also not a big deal in the way that it's handled. I mean, the big deal is more the, the impact that it has on her relationship, Freddie and Doodle's relationship, right? Like the impact that it has is that like, because of how little attention Freddie has paid to her friends at this point, Doodle doesn't really feel like she can trust her with big things like this anymore and yeah. sort of avoids her about it. And then and eventually, you know, comes around and they have like this big re- moment of like reconnection. And, and that is also a really great moment, but that is more the impact that it has on the story. Again, it's a sort of like utopian thing we were talking about where like, it sort of exists in a world where you can just go get an abortion, and it's and, you, and your parents like you know your your parents yeah, good with abortion, your are cool and just, with it, you know they're like, we, we like science, yeah, yeah, like and, and you know the the, the, the Tamaki like sets up the scenario well enough that like it makes sense that that would be the case with this character, uh, but again, it's one of those things that's like it is nice to see it in a way that is so non judgmental and like oh yeah this is just like a thing that is part. The, the same way that like you know being gay is part of people a thing that's part of people's lives like sometimes you just have to go get an abortion and it's like you know that's the way that it should be and it's it's nice to see things framed in that context yeah it's like it sucks but not because it's like a big moral dilemma but but just because yeah. like this is like a big intense moment in a person's life yeah and you, you know you yeah exactly Right, like it sucks for reasons other than like you know people 
trying to take away basic rights, basic healthcare rights from yeah. Yeah. people with uteruses, right? Like it's something, it, it's something that like, you know, it's honest about the experience of like, you know, it's not like, you know, making that decision is not like an easy decision necessarily. And that's something that I think comes through. Like it is yeah. you know, something where she, you know, like she wants her best friend to be there with her while she, you know, like it, it yeah. comes through that it's not like an easy thing. It, to go you with. know, it's an emotional thing and something that she would have wanted her to be and know about right away. Uh, you know the fact that she's there and like uh you know uh freddie even like misses the start of the appointment but makes it makes it there in time um but it also like it doesn't treat it as like a oh my gosh her life is completely different now it's just like you know what you can just you can just well, the thing that, that happens to people it's and i also yeah. i felt like that was really realistic for like the experience of being in like a toxic relationship to like have this sort of like half moment where like just sort of this last thing kind of like you you feel like you like it felt like even before like the beginning of the appointment like freddie was going to give up on laura dean essentially but then like she has like this one last moment of like being drawn back in and it's sort of like getting getting out of a toxic relationship is not a linear process and sometimes like you make progress and then you kind of backslide but then like you keep going anyway and i feel like that's the experience that we get with freddie's journey like getting out of this like on and off again ness with laura dean is like but i i, I just i liked that that it wasn't like she had her one definitive moment where she was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And she just walked away and never did anything ever again. It, like it was a process and it feels right. very real. Yeah. And some people deal with it by inventing a fictional wife for themselves, killing her and then can get over it in real life. Some people have more normal. Spoilers! I'm talking about Quinlan Voss again. Like calm down. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> But I mean, like, yeah, they, they, like Marika Tamaki could have easily been like, you know what? The moment she knows that she's getting this abortion, it's over, Laura Dean. It's done. But, you know, Laura Dean sends the emergency. Oh, my gosh, something's happening. And that's like such a manipulative way that it's just, you know, it's just Laura Dean's birthday party. Mm -hmm. And, you yeah. know, she, she wants Freddie there. And, and as a reader, like that moment was like, OK, like that. This is the moment as much as it is, as much as I, you know, maybe think it was before. There is a point where you're just like. I can't do this anymore. Well, it's, you know, the way that I described, uh, like, Freddie's, like, relationships with her friends kind of, like, going down as death by a thousand cuts. That's also how she has to get over the relationship with Laura Dean. Like, it's not one singular thing that shows that this relationship is not worth it. It's, like, the slow building of every small instance of things being shitty it's, it's the way she processes stuff like and i think like they do a good job of setting her character that way where it's mm -hmm. just like it's not just in one part of her life it's just like yeah all, all throughout and taylor swift wrote a great song about this it, she did it's really the like i do genuinely hear taylor swift in my head every time i say I hope that all of us have this collective experience, and I should have. Is this the first time we've mentioned Taylor Swift on this show? 
Um, I hope not, but probably. I think so. But Chad, is that correct? <laughs> um, I actually the the Chad clips are not in my uh, soundboard right now because I I had to I recorded something like last week and I I had to move some stuff around because I only have so many slots. Shut up, John Luke. That's not how he sounds. We'll get there. I can we'll I can there. send it to I can uh send it to whoever is gonna edit and you can just edit it in. Toss it in there. Yeah. yeah. It's a good idea, actually. I might do that. Uh yeah, no, I mean it's uh but Taylor Swift aside. Uh Never. it is it is I mean the, the death by a thousand cuts point is very uh I think accurate. It's, it's a great it's a it's a very like emotionally riveting Third, two, oh, absolutely four. i did not see yeah. the abortion storyline coming at all <laughs> well yeah. it's the kind of thing where it's like it catches you off guard just the way it catches freddie off guard it, you, well that's a big part of it is that like you are have so become like invested in the pov character that like you see it that way but it's also like sometimes you need big things to happen to sort of shock your system out of uh something yeah and, you know we can talk about like yeah freddie made this decision that she was gonna like call it quits fully with Lordine before that but i don't fully buy that sh- it was over until she realized how much had happened with doodle that she like had no idea about. yeah yeah, yeah. Very eye-opening yeah is that sometimes you get so used to living your life in a certain way and freddie had gotten so used to living her life in this way of like Laura Dean is the most important thing. I exist basically at her. Like I go through these periods of like, my life sucks when we're not together. And when we are together, everything is great for me. Mm -hmm. Everything feels really good and really heightened, like better than any other time in my life. Right. Yeah. And it takes something really major to, to change that. Yeah. And it, it, but it like shocks Freddie into being like, well, like, you know, the person like, (laughs) well, I love my friend more than I love Laura Dean. And it's like, well, that's see, that's the great thing about this book is that there's like a degree of like, you know, she may still, she, I think at the end, she's still like in love with Laura Dean. Right. But it's a realization that like, sometimes like you can be in love with somebody and that doesn't mean that being like their romantic partner is a good decision. Sometimes love is not enough. Like yeah. like Trent yeah. Reznor says in the song "Love Is Not Enough." Yep. Sometimes, it, actually, that song is great. It's about how he was so addicted to. It's about how he was so addicted to Quake that he couldn't. <laughs> oh, Trent! You uh... well, seriously? I mean, I mean, that is a very real. I I can't help but ju- when things get serious, I can't help but you know say stupid shit. Yeah, please stop. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> But like like there's this is legit right like it's a real yeah yeah for sure there's this romantic idea that like if you have love like you can persevere through anything but like the truth of the matter is and this is like a lesson that i have had to learn the hard way in my life before like sometimes love is not enough and sometimes like if you are not treating the people in your life, the people who you're, who you love, right? Like it doesn't matter how much you love them. Like if, if you are not treating people right, like they, 
can and will decide to not be a part of your life anymore and there's the and i had to make this decision recently with magic the gathering (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm gonna come you are coming down with me hand in unlovable hand and i hope you die did you listen to the new single by the way no not yet Okay, it's really fucking. Yeah. It's really. Saw so you tweeting about it, so I've been meaning to. I just uh, didn't but get to it. One hundred percent. Well said, Emily. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes love is just not enough, and that's really like the, that's like a thesis statement of this book. Yeah, and I think it's like you know pe- pe- people are looking for love, and like that's generally a goal when you're in a relationship. So when it doesn't fall. You know, even if it's good for a time or a thing like that, but if it's not like a sustainable love or one that will, that makes you, that you can be the person you want to be while doing it, I think that's very important because it's like, it's so easy to lose yourself in a relationship too. Yeah. Like, like, even if you like are totally in love and like you're feeling good and great, like if you are not like, if you are losing yourself, like that's not good. Wow. Thanks, Trent Reznor. <laughs> Thanks, Trent. Thank you, Trent Reznor. So true, Bestie. By. So true. I'm going to cut that and like, put him singing that. So true, Bestie. Reason. Thanks for taking over Jean-Luc's body and like, you know, say, say, singing that line. I have one last question under my discussion questions. Uh, my. Have either of you ever written into an advice column? Fuck no. The closest i think is just writing into a podcast okay but never People never an advice opinions column. are cheap because that doesn't really it was opinions are cheap with uh cameron and chad uh big plugs yeah. for opinions are cheap the Check number them out. one Fu- podcast about podcasts they're they're a fun show uh, it is so a number one rude. Podcast. fresh podcast market <laughs> is right there yeah. it's literally a podcast of podcasts <laughs> well, it's a podcast about podcasts. yeah they're a podcast of a real yeah, podcast yeah yeah, yeah. uh but yeah, I don't know, just writing to that and uh but n- never like a serious like I guess like should I like buy bitcoin secretly and not tell my friends? Should I buy bitcoin secretly and not tell my wife? I actually <laughs> you know, it's funny because my friends and I really almost bought bitcoin in like 2014. Yeah. Oh man. It yeah, brutal. And you did. And now and, and now you're doing this podcast. No, we we didn't is the unf- well I mean, the problem is, is that if we bought Bitcoin that early, like, we probably would have been, like, ride-or-die people, and we would have been way more inside. Well, and the issue is, you were in the prime, you're, you know, you're in that prime comic category, where, like, you know, at that time, you were really into New 52 and stuff like that, and the superhero comics, and Scott Snyder's the best. I, I, I I'm think... actually there again. Not the Scott Snyder is the best thing, but, like... New 52. Like, reading a lot of superhero comics these days. Nice. Dude, you guys should read Solid Ahmed's. We should do Solid Ahmed's Black Bolt run on it, that shit is. I mean, I like fire. I like uh, him, so like that. I'm. I should be down for that. Yeah, it's 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 so it, it's, it's not much of a hard sell. Yeah. Well, uh, I know it's not a hard sell. I'm just saying. And then we'll read. Speaking uh... of hard sells. <laughs> Anyway, I'm um, sorry. That's a Coheed and Cambria song. Anyway, um, I mean, have you I, written into an advice? Column? I've never 
written into an advice column, but I have uh, many times like composed in my brain, like if I were writing into an advice column or like an advice podcast, like what I would possibly say and have just never actually uh, have never actually gotten around to to doing that but i've I thought like about it i've done something similar and i've always come to the conclusion of like i know what they would say i'm so psychotic that i know what they would say and i know that no matter what they say i'm not gonna do it so wow uh, it's sorry you know, cameron and chad he's not writing in <laughs> it's not it's not happening well i feel that... I, I i feel like in the year 2022 that like hey like if it was 1996 right and you know, internet's still in its thing. And I like nineteen ninety six. I was three years old. And le- and let's say we're like the same ish age, or like, let's say we're coming of age, right? Let's say we're like in our sixteen, seventeen year. And and I'm like, oh man, I got a question. And then I'm reading a comic book, and it's like, write in for the advice column. I'd be like, oh, maybe I will, because like I can't just Google whether I should like see a doctor. I should ask a comic writer or something. I should ask Mar- Mar- Marvel Comics about that. You should ask. But now it's like Scott, uh, Snyder, Scott Pilgrim. I almost said like I don't even know what last name, but it definitely wasn't Snyder. <laughs> well, I mean, at that time it would have been like Jim Lee or Mark Wade. Hmm. We should we should write into an advice column. Mark Wade that, has a relationship with me. I guess I would take it. I don't know. He's a good writer. He can write a good relationship maybe i don't know if you were going to write in to an advice column would you write in with like a serious question or would you just come up with like some you know me you know i don't even know why i ask you that john luke alex would you ever write in with a serious question to an advice column I don't know about advice because I feel like it's like a. I feel like most things that I would be, things that I wouldn't be comfortable talking to like someone I. I I'd rather talk with someone I knew I think, than a random person who's like, being all like, oh, should I uh, propose to my girlfriend live on the uh, on on the uh, crying in the book club as a special guest? And you can and will. No, 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 no. no. Okay, well, we'll talk about this off air. <laughs> I support you. I support the proposal part. I. I don't know that you want to do it on a podcast. I was playing a video game earlier where somebody, the couple went scuba diving and while they're like on their way up, one of them, he proposes to her as they're like decompressing from the scuba dive. It. I proposed to my wife uh, after a live podcast show that we went to while we were waiting for our Uber to take us back to our hotel. This is why I'm. This is why this is why Emily. True love, me, which I'm, I appreciate. I I feel like it's awkward though. You're in the decompression tank and you can't leave. So if you say no there, you're like, what well, do I guess you look do? at the bends. Like you open it up and you die. We, we did decide to say no. That's the thing. It was, or it was. I was like, you know, it was the say nothing option, uh, which in some ways is even worse. Yikes. And that's all. I don't have any other questions for Laura Dean. So, um, was there was there a part that uh, made you guys cry in the book club in the book? You have to do, do the rest of the bit. No, that that's the next bit. What? Uh, this, is, this is the middle one. Oh, f- I <laughs> What Laura Dean character cries the most? Is it Freddy? It's probably Freddy. Freddy. Yeah. We like. Yeah. It's Doodle. Oh yeah, okay. Doodle, but we don't see it on screen, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but it is. It is like Freddy 
Maybe Freddy talks well. about crying a lot, but Doodle actually cries a lot. Yeah, I think Freddy does cry a lot. I think it's close, but I think... 60-40? Yeah, 60-40. Well, it doesn't help. Like, Freddy is our POV character, so, like, we're obviously going to see her cry more, but, like, Doodle is definitely crying more. Doodle is crying way more. Yeah. But not at the end of the book. No. Well, they're crying like tears of happiness. I think, I think at the That's end there's true. like a cathartic release of like where you're like you cry and they hug each other and it's a whole. Did either of you? Did either of you cry over this book? That's such a leading question. Just talk about when you cried. I did cry. Yeah, yeah, I cried did, so many times, did. but I also like did just cry at the end of the book. Like it was just very like sweet and nice and good, and I I enjoyed it. Yay! Well, it's a successful book. We we've all cried. One of us has cried during each book. Not going to reveal who. At not least, me. at least one. Um, yeah. But it's not John. Actually, Luke. John Luke never cries. Because I was so sad that they would kill such a great villain. Yep. Iconic Batman character. I do. The best. The best. So pissed about that. <sighs> That's my fucking boy. Do you guys hear that sound? Bong, oh yeah! Bong, oh yeah! Bong. It's the doomsday oh, yeah. clock. Hey, it's, it's time for our first ever cry space. I'm I'm glad we're finally doing this. Uh, I know we yeah. keep putting it off every episode, but today we finally it's our cry space, and so it's time for us. It's time for us to talk about things that made us cry recently. John, you came prepared. I would love to hear about what made you cry. This is something that has really stuck with me for, uh, I don't know, like a week and a half or so now. Um, last weekend, my friends and I, we were going through the YouTube free movies thing. And we stumbled across... Uh, no, 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 you laughed. But seriously, we stumbled across a movie called Grizzly Man. And we were like, that seems... We, we had already... We had already clicked on like four other movies. That were like this sounds so. Wait, sweet. hold on! You had not heard of Grizzly Man before. Never heard of. Oh my never god! Heard of it. Never heard of it. I, was... I clicked on it. Okay, you continue. I'll say what I was gonna say after. So, so we're in dis- a Discord call, and I'm sharing my screen, and so I click on it, and we start watching it, expecting it to be like the you know the other things that we'd already clicked on and kind of like laughed at and watched five minutes of, and instead it was like. It, it was well. For, I feel like I should have, as a as a as a proponent of as a fan of you know, uh, Werner Herzog's film filmography. I feel like I should have heard about it before. I'm shocked. Uh, no, I I was too that I had never heard about it. But as soon as it came, I like skipped forward like ten minutes in it, and I heard Werner Herzog's voice. I'm like, oh wait, this is serious. I have to go back to the beginning. I'm gonna <laughs> see this. Um, but it's a it's a documentary about um a man named Timothy Treadwell who lived for, I think 13 years. He would spend his summers up in Alaska living with bears. Um, and it was just such a beautiful experience of like these, cause the, the, the last few years he, before he wasn't ultimately killed by it, killed and eaten by a bear. Um, and the last few years he, he recorded himself up there and it's a collection of that archival footage and Werner Herzog interviewing his friends and people familiar with and family and people familiar with it. Um, and it was just such a, like genuinely a, a documentary that moved me to tears, like on multiple occasions throughout its runtime. 
just a really beautiful story about somebody who was so alienated and in some ways brutalized and forced out of contemporary capitalist society that he saw the only path forward for himself as being an advocate for and living among creatures that were not human. And there's a real, to me, there was a real beauty to that, to the, the sort of attempt and desire to be something other than human and something other than, you know, to, 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 to pursue a life that is not simply in service of, of productivity and, and generating profits. And it was, a, it's a really, to me, a really beautiful and a really, you know, ultimately a really tragic story, but one that, you know, deeply, deeply resonated with me about, uh, you know, somebody who, who clearly felt way about contemporary society, the way that I often feel about contemporary society, that it would be better if I was able to pursue something that was, you know, in service of a per a higher purpose, a better purpose. And even though in the end, like, even though like from the beginning, you know, that it ends in sort of tragedy with him being him and his girlfriend being, being killed. Like it is such a beautiful thing seeing him just in this state of like bliss and happiness throughout the course of the movie where he's living with the bears and the foxes and in nature and, engaging with with nature in a way that so few people in, in contemporary society are able to and the way that genuinely he like builds connections with these bears to the point where like it, it was really a fluke that ended up with him getting killed of like it's a it's a bear that was new to the area that killed him at the end and they decided to stay longer than they normally do and it was just like a total like a thing that you you really get the sense watching it that none of the other bears that he had made friends like you know friends in, in heavy scare quotes but like none of the rest of them would have done this to him and it's really a and and, and he tell there's this story where that he tells on camera towards the end of how like when he goes into that last summer where he goes up to Alaska how he was feeling even more ostracized than normal and how people were encroaching further and further on the land that was, that belonged to the bears and people were increasingly skeptical of, you know, what his motives were and like what he did, like what he was doing up there to the point where it just was like, I can't live in, you know, American culture and society anymore. This is, even if it kills me, this is, you know, what is that's and, and it's, it's a beautiful sentiment and a beautiful film. And I, I, I highly recommend watching them, checking out the movie. It's uh, something that really gave me a lot to, a lot to, <laughs> I'm not going to start living with bears, but you know, something that gave me a lot to think about and is genuinely like a really moving, a really moving story. I found. Yeah. I've never actually, I've never watched it. I'm, I'm familiar with it mostly through reputation and like, I don't know how much you know about like the, the surrounding stuff but like the the fact that when uh when this guy and his girlfriend were killed by bears like there was like not 
like video film, but like there is audio. They talk about that in the movie. Yeah. Uh, they don't actually play it. Yeah, yeah, and that's clear. and that's like there have been like hoaxes on the internet of like people claiming to have had like to have surfaced like the audio from like the actual killing but no it like as far as i am personally aware the actual audio has never made it onto the internet yeah uh and one of the moments is he's Werner herzog is sitting in this room with this person who's yeah he listens to it and he yeah who's a who was a friend of treadwell and his girlfriend Mm mm-hmm who hasn't who is the person who was like in his will and was left with all the recordings and you see herzog himself listening to it Mm -hmm. and that is one of the most and it's one of the moments where we were like it was one where i said like to my friends like if they play the audio i'm just gonna skip forward because i don't want yeah at this point i'm really glad that they didn't (laughs) well and it's so clear why they don't because herzog himself says in the film he says sorry he says to her like you can never listen to this. You have to destroy it. If you don't destroy this tape, it'll be something that haunts you for the rest. And you can see how, and this is what makes Herzog, I think such a brilliant documentarian is so often documentary filmmakers are interested in telling a story, but being an objective third party and a narrative and Herzog. And this is something I, I, I talked about. This is, you know, I talked about last week with pride of or last episode of pride of Baghdad, Lessons of Darkness, the film about the Kuwaiti oil, which obviously has more personal significance to me, but you know, I highly recommend that film as well. And it's the same thing of like he inserts himself into it and makes it something that is personal to him. And you can see in that moment the sort of horror on that that sort of takes over him, and he's and and you really feel the genuine emotion when he tells her when he stopped listening to it. You can never. You can mm-hmm. never listen to this. Please, I beg of you, destroy the tape. Don't let anybody else hear it. And even the person who did the... You get a, a similar sentiment from the person who he interviews who did the autopsy of the remains of, of Treadwell and his girlfriend of like, you know, this is not something that people should... And it's a... But it's a beautiful moment, too. It's a, it's a moment that is so deeply... It's such a deeply human moment of like, this is a trauma that you can't expose yourself to. Mm-hmm. Your, your friends put themselves in this scenario and this was something that they believed in and you should remember them in that way and not in the way they were in their final moments. And they sort of describe what happened yeah. in those, fi- what was on the tape. And it's, but it is, that is one of the moments where I was moved really to, to tears by, by the film of like, I can't like you can't even begin to imagine the feelings of like if you're you have two close friends who are killed in such a way and you have audio or video and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a it's a brutal and a tragic film but one that like I I really think people should watch I think one that is so like it's a story that is so human it's a story of like alienation and feeling like an outcast and a story that I think that like most people would relate to the the even if you think that what he did was stupid and misguided at the end of the day like which i and i i have a friend who feels that way about what treadwell did but at the end of the day he is still sympathetic to the like the feelings that would motivate somebody to put themselves in a scenario like that and i i know that i've gone on longer than we've gone in these segments traditionally but it is it really had a very deep and pr- profound impact on me. And I think that it's something that people should, 
should watch and you know learn from really and and take lessons away from absolutely yeah highly recommend it and you know double feature it with lessons of darkness if you listen if you watch that off of uh from our from our lesson because because lessons of darkness has is a very similar sort of film and i I think would have a similar sort of impact on on people Hmm. so alex what made you cry (laughs) sorry if i no i i think i'm i'm glad to have heard you talk about it because i saw you oh did we lose john i'm still here sorry oh okay um i i'm glad to have heard you talk about it because i saw you like tweet about it and and review it but i didn't know that i guess like i assumed because like it is sort of a a widely spread story on the internet of like the the idea that like this guy got killed by grizzly bears and there's audio of his last moments like is sort of a like an er- internet i don't want to say urban legend because it is true but uh you know like it's just sort of a thing that that does get spread online and i assume that you would have heard about it so uh, I'm glad Even to... the amount of time I spent on live leaks as a teenager, I like. I'm kind. I am I, kind of I, surprised that you had not. Yeah, yeah. But um, Alex, how about you? Um, moment that made me cry. I week. can. I have one. If you want a second to think. You go ahead. Okay. Um, mine's gonna be uh pretty banal in comparison to John Luke, but um. I okay so I did move recently is something that we have I think I don't remember if referencing actually made it into the recording but I moved recently uh to another house and uh a problem with that was that we did not have a refrigerator for the first like four days that we were here because the house that we were moving into didn't have a fridge and i had i bought a fridge and it was supposed to be delivered like the last day that we were finishing moving in and that got delayed so we were living out of uh, a couple of coolers sitting in the kitchen for a few days and i ended up having to throw out some frozen shrimp that got a little too dethawed and that's my cry space that i had to throw out some some seafood that i wanted to cook this contextual i better contextualize is one of your wife's tweets from uh, the last week oh yeah probably so I, yeah <laughs> yeah the reason we do this show is to is to figure out why people what, what why we tweet yeah to figure do. out what gwyn's vague tweets are about <laughs> i have a theory <laughs> that's our other podcast too we'll, we'll talk about that later but so yeah. alex uh what made you cry so my cat's still dead oh (laughs) but um my uh so i gave away well yeah so i gave away my pt cruiser which was my first ever car wow and so when i learned to drive i was driving that car and it's like uh my mom had it before and it's just like it was a it was it was a moment that i didn't expect to be sad but it was like the last last day and i was like closed the car and i was like huh i've heard stories from this pt cruiser yeah it means a lot to it talks also so but we're, we're still getting rid of it so yeah and then like it's it, i don't know it's, it, in a way it's kind of similar to to like kiara my cat where it's like you know you, the next morning it's just like you just notice that it's not there 
and and that's what i've been noticing with my cat for like a while where like i go downstairs and i'm like making noise with like you know a bowl or something and i'm like oh my cat's gonna come she's gonna want food and it's like no she won't and it's like huh nice so that's my bong 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 space this week <laughs> should I uh, should I talk about the comic book we're gonna talk about next uh, next episode? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. No. Um. So I, I know that the last time you heard me talk, I was talking about something very serious uh, and very personal to me, and I want you to know the subject of next episode is also very serious and perhaps even more personal to me. Who's that was just my that chair. Yeah. That was my uh-huh, chair. Uh-huh. That wasn't my. That wasn't my. Um. So, for the next episode of the show, we are do. You know. You know how we've done like sort of important comics. You know, we did Watchmen. None more Pilgrim, important than this. Gotham by Gaslight. Pro, you know, Pride of ba- Lord Dean keeps breaking up with me. Pride of Baghdad. You know, these are in some way play into the history and the importance of comics. Like Emily said, this is the most important one we've done yet. This is Claudio Sanchez's magnum opus, Kill Audio. No, actually, no, absolutely not doing Kill Audio. Uh, we could, do, you know, maybe in the future we'll do other Claudio Sanchez comics. But for now, we are doing his magnum opus, uh, The Amory Wars. <laughs> um, we are specifically doing volumes two and three, uh, in keeping secrets of Silent Earth colon three. And Good Apollo on Burning Star 4, Volume 1, From Fear Through the Eyes of Madness. We are not reading um, Second Stage Turbine Blade. We are Blade. not going to talk about Second Stage Turbine Blade. We're not going to talk about Second Stage Turbine Blade. <laughs> you should listen to Time Consumer, Everything Evil, uh, Godson Claudia, oh, we'll make it if you believe. Um, and, um, Here Shot Kid Disaster, of course, but we are not going to be talking, well, okay, it's complicated because the events of Here Shot Kid Disaster kind of got exported to the In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 comic, um, the I need mayo aside, of course. I need um, mayo. I need mayo. God, sometimes I just. Captain Wolf. Sometimes I'm just feeling like, God, I need Mayo Defton Wolf in my life. Sometimes I'm just down bad and I'm like, I need Mayo Defton Wolf. Happy Pride Month! Yeah, happy Pride Month. Uh, Mayo Defton Wolf, please have sex with me. (laughs) This is is how we're going to find, this is how we're going to end up with John Luke having a uh, Mayo Defton Wolf by Pride icon (laughs) edit. I'm like, I'm actually, I'm going to do this like right now. (laughs) As we finish this episode, I'm going to edit Mayo Depth and Wolf onto a Pride Pride Flash. Let's fucking go. Oh. Sorry. Anyway. Anyway. So, So look forward Look forward to our most self-indulgent episode ever. <laughs> yeah, we will get back to comics that people have read and enjoyed in, you know, a month. 
But for the next episode. This is a treat for us. For me and John. Look, sometimes you have to let Jean-Luc and Emily have been keeping secrets of Star on Earth 3 and good Apollo on Burning Star 4 Volume 1 from Fear Through the Eyes of Madness as a little treat. As a little treat. And it's what we deserve. Unfortunately, Alex has to get drugged into this, but maybe he'll finally realize how good the band Coheed and Cambria is. I wouldn't get your hopes listen, up. He will listen to the Willingwell Suite, and he will know. He will know. He will listen to... Oh, man. The Willingwell Suite. Oh, man. The new, about... the new single rules. Dude, the new single is so good. We can't talk about that. Friendship is but, built on, on two things. Respect. Cambria. <laughs> Alex, you're going to find out about fuel from the feeding end, from fear through the eyes of madness, Apollo 2, the telling truth, the final cut. You're even going to find out about Apollo 1, the writing writer? The writing writer! <laughs> I love the writing. We love the writing writer. Love to see it. You're gonna find out about ten speed. So I wanted I wanna just say I wanna just say the name Erica Court and it will never leave your brain for the rest of the I'm gonna quote I'm gonna quote a very a dear friend of mine, uh, Louis C. K. No unproblematic icon. Um to say when a person tells you that you hurt them, you don't get to decide that you didn't. And I'm feeling very hurt by this next episode. Um, no, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Gonna... You're gonna, you're, we're going to give you a whole new meaning for the word crowing. I had to look very through like six boy. pages of quotes. And that was uh, about like friends hurting you without like realizing it. But do realizing it. And that was the best one. So Alex, every time you see me tweet, I wish I could never hurt. I would never hurt again. You'll know what I mean after we record the last episode. The you last episode? Know. Oh, no. The episode of this oh, podcast. No. know about back end of forever. All right. Well. Well, unfortunately, you will also know about Al the Killer. Readers, I'm listeners. So- I'm genuinely sorry about the Al the Killer thing. That's really if you've never bad. listened to Coheed and or Cambria, if you've never read these comics. Yeah, this is gone on way too boat. long. I'm, this has gone on way too long. I'm really sorry. I get really excited when I talk about Coheed and Cambria. I know. Me too. <laughs> That's the um, problem. That's the our first ever three ep- three hour episode. We'll 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 be next in yeah. two weeks. In two weeks. Honestly, two weeks, yeah. So. We might split into two parts. We'll see. Three evils embodied in love and chat. Oh my god. You're going to hear some bangers. Please play us out. I know we haven't done plugs, but please Yeah, play no, us I, out. Well, uh, no, we what definitely have to We have to do plugs. Uh if you would like to follow us, you can do that at Crying Book Club on Twitter. You can and should rate and review us five stars on your what? podcast platform that, of choice if that is it, very important if it, it gives you find us. the option to rate and review this helps people find this podcast i guess and uh that's something that we hope will happen uh yeah. john luke where can people find you online uh, you can find me uh, retweeting the Coheed and Cambria lyrics bot at, at Mountain Dew Liker <laughs> on Twitter. Um, and you can find my letterboxed um, where I am currently adding uh, Untitled Amory Scores fan film to the, <laughs> to the database at, at JL Botville. 
And uh, Alex, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Alex Hansiuk, Um, But I, I think I'm going to make a new Twitter account. Ooh. So that I can be uh, unhinged. Hey, or I just probably won't tweet. John Lou, That's did what you, I do with this one. Did you know that you could play as Mayo Deptonwolf in Minecraft because someone has made a Mayo Deptonwolf Minecraft skin? Okay, I'm actually soy facing, but like genuinely. <laughs> That's my guy! There's a great. I really, I'm going to have to add I need mayo to the soundboard before we please, record. Please. It will come we in handy. Spend, we're going to spend at least 30% of the next episode talking about mayo. I believe that. Uh, if you would like to follow me on the internet, you can do that at impandanata on Twitter, or you can check out uh, I'm, I'm Pandabore on both Letterboxd and Twitch, where I, as of uh, the airing of this episode, I'm definitely still playing the Ace Attorney games, so you should uh, go watch me every Monday night. I play Ace Attorney, and I've been having a lot of fun, and also, it has had the unfortunate side effect of every time a YouTuber that I like uses Ace Attorney music as just, like, background music in uh like a video it activates my fight or flight response so that's really fun <laughs> uh i also i'm on the podcast uh imagine me in Utina, the fresh podcast market and that looks terrible and uh i think that's um do we have anything else for this podcast I really regret not buying the shirt that is like, it's Mayo Deftonwolf, but doing the Uncle Sam pointing pose that says, I want you to join the Red Army. Oh my god, wait, is that real? Yeah. Oh, wow, we should have definitely <laughs> bought those as matching shirts. <laughs> that would have been poggers. Yeah. Good night, folks. <laughs>